Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Vlinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, we are back again here with uh, our fifth installment of, of our show here for the, the third season. So um, not really an exciting topic that we have to talk about today, but I think it's a very important one and one that's been on our minds here recently. Uh, last uh, episode, we we spoke with uh, Devin Gordon and I kind of mentioned what what had happened in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, we talked about it and we decided to, to make it a, a whole show. So uh, today, you know, we're going to be discussing the the anniversary of your mother's death, uh, the recent death of my uncle, and a little bit, um, you know, the the passing of my best friend's mom. So uh, it's going to be a, an interesting one. We're, we're just kind of like, all right, let's just go for it um, in a fuck it, let's try it, you know, <laughs> Neil Barrett kind of way. This is one. Of, this is one of those uh, topics that, of course, you could devote your entire life to studying. Definitely different cultures, traditions, science, mythology, you name it. It touches every, every aspect of our lives, our mortality, obviously. Yeah. And um, I think today maybe we can focus a bit on the personal and tell a little bit of where we're at and what we've experienced and then try to connect it a little bit to some of the broader context. I mean, I, I thought from the moment that you mentioned during our talk last time that you had just been through this kind of uh, kind of tumultuous experience with, with two people uh, passing away in close succession, I didn't really ask you if that was really the first time that you've really had uh, someone die that close to you or that you knew or that was that really made you think about about death. Was, was this a first time? experience for you or had you had any anyone else close in your life who had died yeah so not the the first time um the first time was actually a really wild experience on my end it's when my aunt sally died it was my mother's sister and uh i don't know if we want to jump right into that story but um, sure okay well yeah it's kind of <laughs> kind of weird um and unique so we were visiting uh she lived up in the hamptons in new york and we were just standard visit, going to visit Aunt Sally for you know a couple of weeks in the summer. That's kind of like one was our our family's tradition to to go and visit. Uh, we'd visit my dad's brother, and then we'd visit my mom's sister up there. Some of the Hamptons ain't bad either. It's not bad. Yeah, she she was uh, an editor at Random House, so she she really enjoyed her job. I mean, she was pretty high up there, um, wow. and she was single, no kids. So you know, she had she had a a nice life for herself and. Uh, it was always fun going there. She had all the cool books. She would always give us some like really fun books to check out. Um, so she really got me um, really into reading. So I have to thank her a lot for that. Um, but so, yeah, we were, we were up there. And then um, one day we were visiting my dad's brother. Um, he was somewhere kind of close by. I don't really remember why, but we were just visiting them. We wanted to have lunch with them and meet up and, and visit. So great. Cool. We were going there. And then this is uh, pre-cell phone time. Um, so I, I think we were using house phones and then, um, I'm not sure if we had a car phone or we brought it at that time, but basically we couldn't get a hold of, uh, my aunt Sally for quite some time. We we're just like, you know, kind of first like, oh, she might be out. She might've had a work emergency, you know, who knows, you know, it's life. Uh, these things happen. Um, so, you know, time goes on sun setting. We're just like, okay, we're supposed to be going back. Like we haven't heard anything. So it's just kind of like a weird, weird experience. So 
we're heading back there and it's late. And when I was a kid, I used to get really car sick. So I would just listen to music and fall asleep. Like that was my move when I had to like be in a car for like over an hour. And how so, old do you think you were at this time? At this time? Uh, it was Discman year. So it had to have been like, <laughs> like late nineties. Yeah. Like late nineties on there. So I, I don't think I was um, like 12 or 13 just yet. So, um, you know, pretty young in there. So we come home and I'm sleeping and, you know, I just, we get home and like, you know, there's like that little, like, okay, you just woke up from a car trip. So you just kind of like, you know, just lay down and, and get your surroundings set up. So the car parked and everything. And then I just hear screaming from inside and my mom just runs out the the back of the house and, you know, my dad, my brother come out and they're all shook up and, you know, me, I'm just kind of waking up. So I'm just like, eh, what's going on? Turns out, uh, my, my aunt Sally had a heart attack, um, and died just suddenly and was just on the floor chilling, uh, whenever my, my parents and my younger brother walked through the door and it freaked them out. They were really, really in rough shape. Um, it was very unexpected, uh, and, just like flipped my mom out and she was running. She was hysterical and like, I get it. Yeah. You find, find someone, you know, your sister dead on the floor. That's, that's going to cause that kind of reaction. Um, and she must've been a young woman. I mean, she could not have been very old. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was before the time where like heart attacks are really discussed. Um, so I think she was like in her fifties, um, at the time. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was very unexpected and, and it hit hard. And then we just like rushed back to uh, my uncle's place. And then, you know, all this happened and it took like, you know, this vacation and turned it into, you know, basically prepping, you know, for a funeral. And it was just so weird because, um, you know, I like they told us what happened, like, Hey, you know, she had a heart attack, she's dead and all this, but the emotions of like what people were feeling, you know, didn't really get discussed. And I knew my mom was sad about it. I knew it really beat her up, but like, there was never like a time where she didn't want to be like the strong, you know, mom with who has it all together and stuff. So I feel like there was kind of like a perception that she kind of had to play to the kids and to other people that came into it a little bit rather than just like totally accepting it and like being with that. So that kind of always put a weird, weird kind of like feel to it, like right off the bat. Um, and then when my dad's parents died, um, that was kind of a little more expected, you know, they, they both died of old age, you know, it was tough and everything like that. Um, and you know, we kind of did their funerals and stuff, but like my dad never really talked about it. So I had, you know, my two, two grandparents on my dad's side and then my uh, Aunt Sally, who all passed kind of prior to this, and there's always been some some weird tension, you know, with that. It it never really was discussed too much. So um, for this, did you ever did you ever actually ask your parents to say or say remember asking and wanting to talk with them about it? And and so no, not growing up, definitely not. I mean, I just was too young to really understand that kind of stuff. Like I just I didn't get it. Um, you know, for me, like I, I kind of, you know, people die, that's kind of part of life. Um, so that was, a, you know, understood in, in my young mind, but the emotion side of it, uh, definitely not understood, you know, for, for a while. 
if I can, um, you, you know, basically made me think about the subject of death for the last couple of days uh, since you, since the, the last show and, um, your, what you just explained this, you know, the suddenness of, of your aunt's death. First of all, that, that reminded me a little bit about my mom because my mom hadn't been sick. My mom was 71 when she died. It was about 10 years ago. January would be 10 years. But it was that sudden, the shock of a sudden death is a, is a really, really traumatic uh, experience. And, and, um, and we can, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about what that does because I think there's a lot of sort of PTSD qualities that go into suddenly losing someone. I, I literally, you know, had never once thought really consciously like my mom's going to die. And then she had a stroke and she died two, two weeks later. Uh, and it was like no preparation. We had never had that talk. Like we never had that mother and son talk. So that, that you know, I, I want to return to that in a bit, uh, but I want to go back first. And I want to, what you reminded me, your experience with your aunt was my my first experience was I don't think I was 12. I was probably a little bit younger. I can't honestly remember the date. But um yeah I was probably more like 10. But I remember we were living um we were living in the country uh outside New York City in the suburbs not very far from the city and I remember having my grandmother my mother's uh, mother and uh, my mom's, um, a little bit more of my mom's family all came over to our house for a Sunday dinner. And it was like a pool party. And uh, we had a pool in our, in our backyard. And a and, uh, couple of nights late, we had the most amazing day. Just a classic Italian family, spaghetti, everybody's loud. It was fun. It was like, wow, what a great family. They're, they're so colorful. And two, two nights later, we got a call. And... I saw a look on my mother's face I had never seen before. It was just horrifying. It was a horrifying look and it scared me terribly. And what I learned um, after she hung up the phone was that her mother had had a stroke. Uh, so two days after we had this very joyous family of uh, occasion, my grandmother had this stroke and it was a totally massive one. And I was very close to my grandmother. She was she was like really a true matriarch in our family. Uh, she brought everybody together. She was a smiling, joyous woman. She was very spiritual. I think she kind of was like the spiritual person in our family. She was a churchgoer. She went to the Catholic church and up there in the Bronx, it kind of instilled in my brother a desire to be involved with the church. And, um, and what I really realized now more than anything else is that was, I had had a blissful uh, life up until that moment and never really had a very dark, challenging or scary thought or experience. And I think that was the beginning of my understanding of, of the possibility of profound sadness in human experience. I think it was the beginning of me being, becoming an empathetic human being to the degree that I, I think I am. I just never forget realizing my mother was in just abject pain. Her mom, who she loved, who they talked all the time on the phone, she adored her mom. Her, I saw my mom's pain and it devastated me. I couldn't take it away. I could distract it, but I couldn't take away that pain. And so I it's so strange. I had a very strong feeling as a child already that death was this natural thing and that I, I was never really afraid of it of the death itself. I wasn't afraid at the funeral home, seeing my, my grandmother's body in the casket. Um, 
What I was afraid of was the sadness. I was so afraid of that sadness because I realized that sadness was what we would have to live with. And we couldn't predict how that sadness would play out. And I never talked to my mother. I didn't, it wasn't a philosophical discussion of death, but it changed. It was the beginning. It was the first, it was a portal. It was the thing that I stepped through as a young child to have a glimpse of a more adult understanding of, of the, of, of the world that there were other things that were sad, profoundly sad, that were scary, that were also unchangeable, that once they happened, you couldn't go back through the door. And that, that was a big, that was a major, major moment in my young, in my young life. Um, and I think it bonded me to my mom. It really, the, the, the love that I saw her have for her mom and the sadness that she felt when my, when her mom died, it made me just feel this instinctual, love of my mother because i realized that i was like her in a way i was blessed to have a mom who i adored who i thought was just the greatest and i saw her loss and maybe in the back of my mind i thought one day i'm going to be the person devastated by losing by losing my own mom wow yeah i mean that's tougher for anyone to go through and just hearing you how you how you just felt for your mom just is so like refreshing to hear in, in this kind of context. Um, for me, I think it's kind of like the opposite. I feel like this, this experience was like the start of like the, the wedge between truth and feelings and, you know, just kind of like, okay, well this happened, but let's not, let's not bring the kids in on this. Let's not do that. And I, you know, now, now that these conversations have started, it's like, I kind of feel like, man, maybe that was like the, the start of it. Or maybe something else. I don't know. But that's, you know, I mean, as as I've said before, like the, you know, the gap between truth and and honesty between my my parents and I, you know, was was never the strongest. Um so it, it just it's kind of weird, you know, how in in one situation it can bring, you know, a family really, really close together, or in other situations, uh can bring them further apart because well, it's uh, interesting that she was she was trying to be strong for you but she yeah. sort of deprived you of the lesson uh, yeah. that you were that you might have learned from it but i'm wondering now if you look back and you know how does it how does it play upon your own sense of empathy and sympathy towards your mom of thinking wow she went through a terrible loss she lost her sister like you know young she was young probably she was very close to her sister but um do you, do you feel like over, could you imagine revisiting that that time in your past and looking at it and thinking, wow, actually I'm feeling now this kind of empathy towards my mom feeling like that must've been horrible to have lo- had that loss and not have a way of sharing that experience. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I guess what's hard for me to think about is how I couldn't share it because that's something that I just so freely share. And like, you know, if I'm having a really rough time. It's like, you know, I want to reach out to, you know, to someone that, that will listen to me and, and really just understand. Um, but of course, you know, like that's such a devastating time for everyone. I mean, death is such a hard topic that no one processes it the same. So you got to give everyone the benefit of the doubt when it comes down to it. And when your dad's parents died, you said they were old, they were old older people yeah. so there mm-hmm. wasn't like a sh- the shock of a sudden unexpected loss so that was a different experience 
did you feel um, did did you feel like there was a different perspective for you that you had okay you had been through this the loss of the aunt so your when your dad's parents died did you feel like you had sort of a different a different view of it definitely yeah i think there was a more you know mature conversation about it and you know what was going through my dad was definitely going through a tough time um but again he's like the reserved quiet type so it's not like he's going to make his feelings public and stuff but like you know at the funerals there you know he broke down and he showed showed his emotions and stuff like that um so it was it was good to see like you know he was actually like feeling it because you know for a lot of the time it was just so stoic um for for a while um but yeah i mean now now it's just i don't know i i just i think that our personality types are so different that it's it's kind of hard for each of us to to really understand each other's like emotions but i think we 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 all understand that we each feel in different ways i think that's you know what what we've discovered okay so if i can fast forward now you lost your uncle this mm-hmm. is on which side your your mom your mom or your dad's side mom's mom's your so your mom lost her her brother uh well my mom's sister's husband your mom's sister's husband okay okay um did did you have a chat with your with your your mom at all about I'm just wondering can you connect sort of what you're going through now and you and possibly use it as a as a um a, a launching point for maybe a a conversation a little bit like going back and saying you know mom you were strong you were really strong I have these memories of being a kid and I saw you when when your sister died and you know I never got a chance to really you know, say this or that, or ask you something. I'm wondering if now that this experience has happened, is it an opportunity maybe to talk? Yeah. You know, I, uh, I tried that before, um, in a previous conversation prior, prior to his death, actually. So as he was rounding out, you know, you know, finishing up his chemotherapy, um, my family and I, we've, we've been in some family therapy, you know, now that now that I'm back here just to kind of like get communication going and, one thing that I brought up was like, Hey, like, you know, we never really talk about really deep subjects and everything is just kind of surface level, you know, kind of like day-to-day stuff about, you know, this, that, or whatever. And it's like, you know, I I feel like our conversations tend to be either gossip about what's happening around town or like what's happening in people's places and things. And for me, what I kind of really want out of like a meaningful conversation is to speak about intangible things. And that really gets my juices flowing. Like that's a conversation I want to have. Um, and I brought up, I'm like, Hey, you know, like the subject of death is something that we haven't really talked about, but it's very prevalent. And, you know, we're going through some stuff and we know that uncle John's he's been sick for a while. You know, we don't really talk about it. You know, it's just kind of like, Oh, this is what's happening. Like we get status reports, but those are facts and those aren't really, you know, the feelings behind them. So I brought it up and, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, like cancer third time in chemotherapy, like we, we haven't really talked about this. Um, and then, you know, time passed, he got better. He, he was in remission for a while. Um, and then, just contracted COVID and then within a week passes. So that was, it was kind of expected. It was kind of unexpected in, in that, but 
from the conversation we had prior to that, it didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of traction on, on bringing up those tough subjects and really kind of having a, a really deep conversation. And for me expressing like what I find valuable and, and what I find nourishing in a, in a conversation, uh, wasn't really acknowledged. It wasn't, it wasn't pressed. Um, and so I kind of just let it go. And now that it happened, uh, there's definitely some weirder feelings about it. Uh, I definitely feel that my mom speaks to my wife a lot more about it. Um, maybe it's just easier for her that way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, kind of a, a defeating situation, I would say once, once that kind of didn't happen. Um, so I didn't really press the issue and I know that, you know, emotions are definitely running very high and strong and she let me know, um, you know, one day she was just having a really hard time about it and just kind of like came into our room and just, you know, told us about it and just like, okay, like, um, kind of strange, just like an, an unprompted, you know, thing like that, but that was good. And, you know, is able to like, accept that and just say, okay, like, let's talk about it. Maybe not when I'm like waking up from a nap, but, uh, you know, that's, that's okay. Like, you know, there's, there's a time and place and I guess that was it, but that's all that happened. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just weird. And, you know, through all of my therapy that I've had, it's, I don't think it's really going to change, uh, through all that we've kind of had, like my parents and my relationship just isn't very strong. And, you know, I don't think this, this life event that's happening is going to bring us closer together, uh, which is kind of sad to say, but, um, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, things that happen in, in families, you know, they're not all perfect and, you know, not everyone has great communication. And I'm just one of those statistics where it doesn't work out that way, but, uh, I got to say, it is really nice to hear that, you know, that kind of life event in your family could bring you and your mom closer together. Like that's, that's kind of like my silver lining in this conversation is, is like, it does, it can work. It can help. And there can be healthy communication that goes forward from this. It doesn't all have to be reserved communications and bottled emotions. Well, I have to, there's so many things. Oh my God, but that's a lot that you just shared. Um, first of all, you know, one thing about our family, we are the classic right out of the the, the movies, overly expressive Italian family. I mean, yeah. the scenes at the funeral parlor were cousins trying to crawl into the fun into the casket, screaming and crying. And why did you do this to us? That was like a famous line that Italian people say to the deceased person. Why did you do this to us? Um, and I saw this myself and it was it was kind of frightening and horrible at the same time it could not have been more funny and charming and italian it was just we definitely you know we allowed a lot of emotion to constantly flare up and and explode and for good and for ill i mean there were times where it it meant that we couldn't really have a uh, a very clear discussion about anything because there was too much hot emotion tied into so many things but definitely my mom and i had a very a very, our relationship was very focused on the meaning of life. My mom and I loved to talk uh, my entire life. When we got on the phone, it wasn't 
I mean, she loved to gossip. She loved to tell me what was happening with people and with the family. But the 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 focus of the conversation was often, hey, what is the meaning of of the experiences that we're having? My mom was just that was just how we connected, and for for other reasons too. I mean, later on, when my parents went through a very very hard, very very traumatic divorce, and um, I really got close to my mom because I I was play, put into the role of sort of protecting my mom. My dad was very angry and was lashing out. And I was in you know, my mid-teens and I was a protector. I really literally was between my parents trying to keep them from, my father really, from having his anger uh, uh, flow over. So my, my, my mother and I built this bond uh, through hardship, through, you know, I saw she lost her mom. That was something that was hard. Her marriage fell apart. And it's put my mom into like a long period of, of depression. And for me as a kid to have a depressed mom that you know, I was going to school, coming home from school and like confronting, oh my God, my mom's still in bed. She's horribly depressed. It was a very, very hard time. But once again, it it deepened my own empathy. It made me resilient. I sort of had to figure out how to get how to get it together because there there, there was no other person to turn to. It was, you know, my dad was angry and kind of irrational. We only learned years later why he was bipolar. We never learned, knew that. So it was it was a crazy tumultuous time. But the bond that it created between my mom was very and me was very profound. Um, and you know, we could I could fast forward to to what, how that played out when she when she passed away ten years ago. But to go back to to your story, you know, there's there is incredible dichotomy of families. Um, there's so many, you, you just go back through, through literature, through mythology, through, um, uh, history, and you're going to see every conceivable configuration of parent, parent, child, child relationship from the perfect parents where the, 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 the easy goingness of the relationship is there to the, the stoic, no words expressed, you know, who said that line, you know, between Children and parents is a 10-foot wall. I mean, the, the reality is, I think parents and children are all of those things. Sometimes they're, they, they're, they come at different part, parts of our life. Um, as close as I was with my mom, I did not have the comfort level to tell her that I was gay. Um, I, you know, my, my older brother was gay. And I just, the thought of telling my mom I was also gay, just even though I was super close with my mom, I just couldn't. You know, my mom found out by accident. My brother told her. Uh, that's a, that's another long story, kind of crazy one too. <laughs> um, but I I I think what you're heading towards, and I'm not. My God, I'm not a professional. No. I, I no, I'm just telling you as your friend and from my own life experience, is uh, heading towards sort of this place where you have to kind of accept the nature of your relationship with your, your parents. Um, and, and, and I keep thinking of that phrase, you know, deep as the well of the past, you know, the bottomless past, um, that's a, a favorite line from a, one of my favorite books in a way, sometimes you, you can't find the answers to the, in the past. All you can do is begin to focus on the future to try to build opportunities in the future where you can have more of the kind of openness talking with your parents, um, about about the things that matter to you. And maybe they won't be about as something as personal 
and as and as cutting as as death and loss, which are, are such powerful subjects. And it may be in the end that that your relationship with your family won't be exactly as that dream scenario that you might have conjured up. But that's kind of the essence, really, of of like Buddhist teachings, right? Buddhistic teaching. Uh, don't you can't lean either way. You you can't lean into your hopes. You can't lean into your fears. You can't lean into your pain. You can't lean into your pleasure. They all are what they are, and your wisdom comes from accepting them as thus. And um, I don't know. There's a certain place where you're the child. You're the the son. How old are you now? You're thirty something. Thirty three. There's that day where you're also the adult and you're, you're, you have two kids. So you are as much a parent as your parents are, are parents. So there, there's, I think there's also some license that comes in as you get older of saying, Hey, look, that was how we used to relate. But now I'm a, an adult and I'm going to try to set a little bit more of the tone of how we communicate. And anyway, that's my little invitation for you to maybe, to look for new ways to show to your parents who you are um, and try to get, try to do a, a work around that wall that's there that you're, you're going to butt your head and <laughs> bloody yourself trying to get through that wall. But maybe you can build a new path around the wall. Uh, and, and maybe that's, I mean, that's why you have kids. I mean, I, I, my mom was never happier than when my, when she became a grandmother, that was when I saw my mom in her full in her full glory of, hey, look, I'm not going to worry about you anymore because I've got my grandkids to worry about. So maybe that'll be also a route for your, for both of your parents, especially your mom, because it seems like there's a particular charge there between you and your mom, for her to find, for you to find new ways for the two of you to, to build more constructive um, and open rela- uh, relationship. Yeah, I, uh, I would love that. Um, I think that was a big part of, of me trying to come home and, you know, do this whole, like, let's save up to buy a house thing was to kind of unite the family. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I did have a dream. I had a dream of having a, you know, like a good relationship with my parents. Um, and that hasn't come through and I have to accept that just like you said, and, you know, I have to accept what it is and, there are certain things that my parents are willing to talk about. There's certain things they're willing to do, um, you know, how far they're willing to stretch to accommodate my needs for me to accommodate their needs. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of space in between, you know, what, what we both really want, um, in the end. So I definitely enjoy that, that invitation there. Um, and you know, we'll see, we'll see kind of what happens, but, um, when you say like, you know, looking forward to the future, it's, you know, the big part about what I'm trying to do is, you know, I want to educate my children on all of this. And there's, there's quite a bit of some information that I'd like to give them that I didn't have, uh, when I was a kid. And some of that is, um, the five stages of grief as well as the five remembrances. So I'll quickly kind of tell you what they are if you haven't um, heard them before. Um, But the five stages of grief, this was a model created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the late 60s. um, She wrote a seminal book called On Death and Dying, um, where she interviewed terminal patients and kind of just found out some more information. And with her studies, she found that the five stages of grief are denial, anger, 
bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And that's just something that I think is a really good placeholder to to have just, you know, as you know, that will eventually happen in my family. Like, you know, just saying, Hey, like this is, this is what to expect. So expect it. Um, but I also really want to share with my kids, you know, once they're available, you know, and have that kind of, you know, mental capacity is the five remembrances. And this is a, a teaching from Buddha. It's a, it's a sutra from a long time ago, but I'll just quickly read them here. Um, the first one is I am of the nature to grow old. There's no way to escape growing old. The second is I'm the nature to have ill health. There's no way of escaping ill health. Third, I am of the nature to die. There's no way to escape death. Fourth, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And the fifth and last one, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. I think maybe those, you know, 10 little things, you know, when it, when it comes down to, to having really, really challenging and, and hard conversations about death, uh, may be able to at least put some perspective into it because I certainly didn't have that growing up. I have it now. And I think that definitely changed the the tone and the relationship that I had, you know, with the death of my uncle, it's like, you know, I, I I've had these, I've, I've studied these for a little bit. So it kind of did change the flavor of a little bit of unexpectedness, you know, a little bit of unease and, you know, just kind of navigating that, that darkness. I feel like this kind of gave me a little bit of a light. So um, that's something I want to share with my children and, you know, promote with who I am as a person. Well, one of the, um, one of the powerful realizations that you have is that in raising your children, um, first of all, you have that wonderful luxury of, of uh, learning from the mistakes of, of your own parents, but also taking the best of what your parents brought to your life and bringing that into the life with your children and in raising your children with love. And I just can't imagine someone like you who thinks a lot about uh, issues um, about our, the meaning of life, the purpose of our existence. Um, I can't imagine your children are not going to get a healthy dose of philosophy in their upbringing. You know, you'll be the father when the kid comes home and says, I want to major in philosophy rather than say, what are you going to do with that? You're going to be like, yes, that what a great idea that is to major in philosophy. Um, I'm going to be like, send me all your textbooks too. I want to take the classes with you. <laughs> exactly. I mean, how beautiful is that? What a beautiful thing to look forward to. Um, I think that that's, I think that that's really important to realize just how much how much power you can have in setting up healthy uh, communication with your children um, and ideas about life by by in the living that you don't even have to schedule a date where you sit them down necessarily and talk through these these points uh, that you just raised because you will have lived them and you will have shown them and how you conduct your relations with them. They may see you grieving because you lose someone and they may have that moment where there's there that 10 year old son of yours is watching dad be very upset because dad may have lost a person and their reaction to that and and how you share that experience with them is going to be um a real it's going to be you it that's going to be how you show how you feel 
about about this life that you've been given. And I think um, I know I think th- those kids are going to have be very lucky to see and watch uh, a feeling vulnerable uh, dad who is awake and thinking of all these things to to experience and look at. I have to say, um, going back once again, I mean, I was raised in a Catholic family. I would not say I was a, a seriously practicing Catholic. I, I loved the teachings of Jesus, but I never considered myself like a, a serious Catholic per se. There were too many contradictions, contradictions there. But I have to say one of my other, you know, we talked about the death of my grandmother and, how, and what that taught me. Um, my, my next big moment, Ten pole moment, if you if you would like to say about consciousness about death, came in college when I took a class on Taoism, and there was a there was a story in one of the books that I read, which told of a man who takes a long journey up into the mountains to visit a friend because he's heard that the friend's spouse has passed away, and he's very sad, feeling I have to go climb the mountain, be with my friend because my friend. I had lost lost his love and he can't be alone. And when he approaches the house, he hears a man singing and just so joyous. And he just is like, this, what cannot be? What, why? He cannot comprehend why his friend is so happy. And he goes into the house and the, the apparently the friend is taking a bath. He's out in his bathtub is in the middle of the room and he's singing away and, and, and the, the friend says, you just lost your wife. And the, the man says, yes. And he said, but, but you're singing, you're happy. And he said, well, I can't do anything about it. I can't control it. The, the world is still this and that, and the birds are still singing, and the moon is still above us. And it went on and on. And I remember reading it, and for a moment, I, I I was sort of like horrified. Like I'm in my Catholic side of me was sort of like, no, that cannot be the meaning of that moment. Um, I I couldn't comprehend the idea of making light of death. But that's you know that story is is illustrative, and and it's a, there's a reason why it's so extreme. It's showing you in a way that the the other extreme of being completely debilitated by loss is is an overreaction if, in, in the in the greater state of the world like you read your buddhist um remembrances and those are what those remembrances are telling us they're reminding us of our tiny small little register of human experience in the greater whole of our uh experience as a species and I I loved that class because I had that was 30, 40 years ago I took that class. And I will never forget that little volume of Taoist teachings, little short aphorisms. And this story actually was told by the professor. And I was so grateful because I realized, you know, once again, this is why we learn. This is why we go to school. This is why we take classes in, in Eastern religion. It was good and important for me to realize that there was a view of death that wasn't like my own. It wasn't like Western Catholic experience of death. Um, and that that really helped me want to be more curious about how other cultures thought about, about the death experience. And, the, you know, even today, I mean, I still can relate. I relate to my, my Catholicism in there, 
but I'm also a bit of a Buddhist and a bit of a Taoist and a bit I'm everything. Um, that's to me, that's the nature of of faith in my in my experience, because our all of us are dealing with this universal. Uh, uh, these the, the universality of our mortality, and all of us are taking the sum total of experiences that came before us and educated us, and making the best that we can out of that that very real reality. That everything's in, everything's impermanent. Everything changes. Everything go, uh, changes and goes away. Um, I want to, if you don't mind, just go further yeah. in my little journey uh, to when the year that I turned 40, which is now almost 20 years ago, I lost my brother and my brother was 41. We grew up, we grew up, um, you know, very close sharing a room kind of closeness. My mom dressed us alike. We were only 18 months apart. Everyone, we sometimes kind of looked and acted like twinsies shared a bedroom kind of thing. And, um, you know, he was sick for a long time and that process was devastating and exhausting watching my brother's health for probably a decade. I mean, he had, my brother died of AIDS and my brother was also bipolar and watching my mom's pain once again with her son suffering and so sick, this created a, a very, very deep and even deeper bond between my mom and myself. And uh, once again, I've just seeing my mom's sadness, the sadness of death. I can't, it's not, it's not death that scares me. It's the sadness that we feel what, uh, that the people who are left behind feel. That's what scares me. How painful, how deep that pain. You know, when you lose a brother like that, um, yes, I had time to prepare because he had been sick for a long while, but nothing can really prepare you for that day that you're in that hospital room and you're feeling, you're literally feeling the heart. I was in Florida. He had relocated to Florida. I was in that room and I was, and I had my hand on his, on his chest and I was playing. I put his favorite music, Foray uh, music, Gabriel Foray, the beautiful French composer. I had his favorite music on his, on his, on headphones that I put on him. And, uh, you know, once again, it was that portal I stepped through. Um, I had to walk out into the sunny Florida heat and call my mother and say, um, Frank's gone. He couldn't be ungone. And that call had to be made and I couldn't go back through. And that moment, you know, those are, those are going to be some moments in our lives where we pass through the portal that we can't pass back through. I couldn't become the brother who lost the brother who then had his brother back. At least not from like a, a straight scientific view of life. Uh, I mean, in my Catholic faith tells me I will be reunited with him in heaven. Um, uh, Whitman, Walt Whitman would say that my brother's with us in the ground that grows the flowers that, uh, that pop up on our property. Um, I will say that the, gr um, the grief, the pain was intense, shattering, I remember sitting and just feeling the presence of death on my shoulders. I felt literally like, like an elephant named death was sitting on my shoulders. Uh, when I, I'll never forget the fight. When I said goodbye, we closed the casket and I walked through Central Park. It was 
uh, early May day and it was, it was still pretty cold. And just, I was like, felt like I was at the end of the earth and I could, I would never come back. There would never be, there would never be happiness again. That's how it feels when you lose someone that close to you. And my mom, my mom and I, we went on a long journey together. We got deeper and closer. And that's why when 10 years later, when she died, all of this came together. All of these experiences came together. And when my mom died, suddenly we were on a vacation in Mexico. My mom had a stroke um, and I had to charter a plane to get my mom home. It was my, my whole family was there. She had the most memorable last words ever. You know, our family loved the beach. My mom was there with her kids, not my brother, obviously, but my mom, my sister and her kids and my stepbrother and sister and their kids and the entire group of us were gathered on the beach. And my mom, my mom loved the beach more than anybody I knew. And it was always a tradition. At the end of the day, mom would leave the beach to go clean herself up. And we would all meet for cocktails down in the lobby of the hotel. And my mom got up in front of the kids and waved at us all and said, hey, kids, I'm out of here. So she uh, didn't come down for cocktails. And I was starting to get really nervous. I was like, oh, shit, something's wrong. And I said, maybe she fell asleep. She's in a deep sleep. So um, I went up, knocked on the door. She didn't answer. Of course, I went down to the lobby and got the, the, the uh, hotel to let me in. And I found my mom on the bed. Uh, she had had a stroke. I knew it because her mom had had a stroke. I, I knew immediately my mom had had a stroke. She was there with her, literally with her comb in her hand, in her hand, obviously getting ready to come meet us for drinks. And, you know, to be in a foreign country, 40, it was a 40 minute ambulance ride to the hospital and everyone's speaking Spanish and no one, I can't speak uh, English to anyone in that ambulance. I'm riding with my mom, my sisters and stepsister in a cab behind us. And I remember just a little bit of the English someone was able to say is that, who said, we think your mom had a, maybe had a drug overdose. Uh, maybe she was taking antidepressant or something. She'll be fine. When is your flight? You'll go home with your mom. And, I was, and in my heart, I was like, are you, are you high? Do you see how unresponsive she is? She's not waking up. And of course I was right. My mom, uh, when she was ent entered into the hospital, they wrote down cause of the reason she was coming to the hospital was drug overdose. But of course that was quickly changed to massive stroke. And she never, she actually was alive on, you know, medical intervention. She was on, uh, you know, respirator, blah, blah, blah. And they just said, you know, until she's stable enough, she can't go home. And I was like, I'm, I'm in Mexico. Like we have to go home. What are we going to do? I had a, I had to max out all the credit cards, charter a plane. It was the craziest freaking two weeks of my life. It was traumatic behind anything I could begin. You cannot believe the dreams I had. You cannot imagine the tumult. In, I could I could tell you, I could talk to you for days about what happened in those two weeks. Uh, but I did get her on that plane. I got her back to New York. She died in Mount Sinai Hospital uh, two weeks later, 10 years ago. And I remember, and I'll never forget, sitting in her room. She had never, she never woke up. Sitting in her room in Mount Sinai Hospital, deep January day, uh, looking out the window at Central Park, 
uh, it was cloud, it was shrouded in fog and the lights kind of had an orange hue. And of course you couldn't say anything. What could you say at that point? My mom was dying and all I could do was hold her hand. I couldn't actually tell her, mom, you were the greatest. You taught me love. You taught me forgiveness. You taught me faith. You taught me laughter. You taught me joy, the love of life, the love of family. You taught me how to cook the best pasta. You taught me how to make meatballs. You taught me how to just have love and be able to say, I love you and be loved back. And I couldn't tell her. And I had to tell her without words. I had to hold her hand. And, you know, the doctor came in at the end of that night. It was midnight. He had, they had let me in my room, in the room, even though it was well past, um, well past the time that you could visit. And the doctor came in and just said, we think she'll be gone tomorrow. And, you know, I was in the hotel room with my mom, knowing that was the last time I would be with her when she was alive. I just remember going home that night in the cab, just thinking, where am I? Where am I? Where is this place? It's this surreal world. It was an alternative reality. And I was with her when, when she passed the next day. And what it was, was like looking up at the sky and you know how you always see like the North star, you see that planet, that thing that's in the sky, that's always seeable, no matter what, it's the one thing that doesn't change in the sky. You could almost say the sun, but that's almost too obvious. I called it the North star. Losing my mom was like losing that North star. I had to completely change my idea of the heavens. I had to completely change my idea of the universe. The configuration was no longer there. That thing at the center of our universe was gone. Everything had changed. Everything had changed. And that particular year, that was such a, a monumental upheaval, you know, the life quake. It's like a double life quake, like a triple life quake. Everything came back. Losing my brother, um, losing my, my falling out with my dad, my, my place in my family, my trying to be a, a peacemaker, you name it. All of it came out, and I had a complete and total unraveling. I really thought I was losing my mind. Um, I, I was having night sweats. When ambulances went by, I would be in, like, I would have to grab the side of a building in New York, and ambulances go by all day long. I had to grab the side of a building. I was, and of course, I had no training in my family, like, oh, go to a therapist. So I suffered through this horrific nine, um, six months. And, you know, leading up to it, I had, you know, I had a car accident. We flipped the car on the throughway. I, I fell asleep at the wheel. I was so depressed. Flipped the car. We walked away from it. it unscathed. It was a miracle. And that was the beginning of me thinking, you know, maybe my mom's up there. That's the miracle. My mom maybe protected me. Maybe that's why I didn't get killed in that car accident. But I went... Literally died. I felt like I died. That's how I felt. I felt like that was the end of me. 
And then this one day, my mom is right towards my 50th birthday. My mom kind of visited me in a dream. It was the first time since she died that she came back. She didn't speak, but she was there and she wasn't sick. She didn't look sick. She didn't look like she was going to, she looked like herself, like her sunny, happy self. And, you know, 10 years later, I can just tell you, Adam, what changed most for me in, the, in losing my mom and my brother is that over each year, the sadness got further away and the joy and the joyous memories and their examples, they became larger and mythologized. Now my brother is a mythological figure of humor and, and a, he had a rebelliousness about him. He had a kind of fearlessness about him. He's like now mythologized. And my mom is now mythologized as this loving, beaming, sunny source of light. Um, and the sadness each year dissipated and yeah it never you'll have everybody tell you that it never goes away the pain never goes away but but the memories become blazing bright i don't know how to describe it i have to use star wars analogies it's like when yoda dies and you're like life will never be the same yoda died and then spiritual yoda comes back the illuminated yoga the spirit yoga yoda comes back and that's kind of what my mom is there. She's kind of like this, this illuminated presence um, that's always there. So I'm really sorry to have gone so far with, with this whole story. But like I said, it's these, these, these tentpole moments of discovering loss, experiencing death, being changed. I think being changed is the most powerful human experience. It is the... It is the most scary thing to be changed because we could be changed. You know, Walt Whitman late in his life had a stroke and he could no longer climb, climb trees. And he said that was when he had to recalibrate his entire concept of happiness. So he had to learn to then make the color of the sky and the bird song had to be the new layer, the new level of a joy that he could achieve. The joy of climbing a tree was no longer accessible to him. So yeah, those are those moments. And as you get older, you hope that you have those moments in an order, in a way that can help you process them. Because for some people, the moments happen in a way that are very hard to process for, for whatever reason, because life, life doesn't tell you when you go through these things. You, you don't get any chance to prepare for it, but they, you're going you're gonna to experience it and how you handle them is going to be quite variable. And I think to finish this very long-winded thing that I just did is that in being vulnerable, you increase the likelihood of having help, support. And, you know, my other half said it best. He said, if you don't let the grief of your life out, there's no place for the joy. Whew. That was a lot. So first of all, thank you for, for sharing that. I know we, we spoke a little bit on, on that in a, in one of your first episodes, um, by hearing it again, it doesn't change its impact. Um, it still, it still hits hard and it cuts deep. Um, uh, but one thing that's kind of new that you said is, is the fact that it, that it changes you. And, um, one thing is that, uh, I, I didn't actually share with you and are kind of like, you know, prep, prep for this is there's a, a sixth stage of grief, um, that was, that was created by, uh, David Kessler. 
um, and it's called Finding Meaning. So kind of to, to wrap all, all of what we've been talking about up is like, you know, what's the meaning behind all of this? What have we discovered about ourselves, about our lives, about life um, and all of that? And, you know, was it the, the car crash that, that found your meaning there? Or was it the experience of just living um, that, that got you to the place where you're at now? where it's, you know, it's accepted, it's understood and life kind of goes on and, and we make some sense of it. Um, you know, I think I'm still right now, um, not there yet, you know, with, with this particular one. Um, but you know, I know in the future that it's, that it's going to come my way. So, um, to kind of get you back talking again, Albert, um, you know, do, do you think you found meaning in, in the deaths that you've experienced in your life? Well, the most clear, absolutely, like it's lit in neon in the sky, meaning is live your life now to the fullest. Don't wait to tell people you love that you love them. That's why I'm so forward with people. That's why I can't, like, I want to shut up. I want to take my time. I want to not force myself into every situation. But I'm like, hey, folks, in case you haven't noticed, life is impermanent. So, hug me now. Love me now. Let me love you now. Let's do this now. Let's make the world a better place now. There is there's definitely a sense of urgency in me that came from experiencing uh, loss. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is mostly a good thing. But the other meaning is to not try to control the meaning of anything. I did not know when I met you that doing a podcast would make me take a try a meditation app, which made me revisit my old Buddhist books that were on my shelf, which would make me realize that I can't lean into my fear. I can't lean into my joy. Um, I can't force anything. All I can do is, is live according to the best uh, ideas that I have about what is, what is, a way to live in a beautiful, loving, kind, uh, warm connection with other human beings. Um, and that's really it. And I'm happy with that. And that's that's kind of enough. I don't really feel sort of a, oh, shit, the clock's ticking. Really? I mean, a little bit. I'm going to be 60 um, in July. So, yeah, I'm thinking a lot about, about it. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the meaning is being okay with not always understanding and not always ha un having the meaning at our fingertips. There's something beautiful about the mystery of our, of our smallness, of our tininess in the cosmos. I, I know, you know, Freud called it the oceanic feeling, feeling like we were so small that we, it was kind of horrifying that we were like a little drop in the sea. But um, I, I don't mind being a little drop in the sea. And I don't, I don't mind being part of the infinite cosmos if anything, it takes a lot of pressure off of me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> fuck, I'm just, being, I'm just one tiny small speck. I'm, that doesn't upset me. That makes me, it makes me every, gives me relief. Totally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that there's a, a really great word for that, which is called acceptance. We are accepting life as it is, you know, as, as we're put here on the world and, you know, um, through some really hard times, you, you, you know, you start thinking about, uh, you know, why am I here? What is life? What am I doing? All of the, all of these things. And you kind of think of it more along like, you know, the death side of it, but 
what really can be uncovered is, is, you know, more, more about is just giving yourself a little bit more permission to live and just be who you are in the time that you have. So once you kind of, you know, have this acceptance and you give yourself permission just to, to exist the way you are, you know, within reasonable means there, uh, it really kind of just gives you that, that freedom, um, that, you know, sometimes, you know, that Western kind of, you know, clocks ticking time is money, you know, don't sleep, you know, grind all day, all night, you know, well, where's, where's the enjoyment there. And where's, where's just the acceptance of this beautiful world and what it is. So I think that's a, a great way to, to kind of summarize that experience with death is just giving yourself that, that permission to, to be you, to, to live your singular life, um, you know, in its relation to everything else and in relation to the giant infinite cosmos that's, that's out there. <laughs> My dad said that there's like a, he read this article this morning about a billion trillion stars. That's how, like how many there's out there. So there's so much, so much fastness out there and we're this tiny grain of sand or a drop in the ocean. And you know what we are, but if it weren't for us, you know, all these little tiny grains of sand, all the little drops of water, there wouldn't be beaches and there wouldn't be an ocean. And that's what makes it so beautiful. Well, I could live, I could live with that, Adam. Those are beautiful. <laughs> and I love the beach. I will just say, I love the beach. Nothing is hap- a happier time for me than sitting on, sitting on the sand, looking at the ocean. Um, I will just say also, I, I do think you talked about the West. I mean, there's so many, so many, um, traditions in the West. Um, you know, there's so many approaches, you know, I think of like the Italian way of life, the American way of life is particularly driven. And I think we are particularly afraid to talk about important issues in this country for many, many reasons. And I don't, I don't want to turn this into a discussion of, of the, 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 the downsides of the American, uh, approach to living, but I will say that I do hope, and I believe that the pandemic uh, experience is forcing a lot of people to do a little bit of soul searching. Uh, you know, we're seeing it in terms of people saying, I'm going to try a new job. We're seeing all kinds of people move. People are leaving places and trying new things. Um, but I also want to say, you know, you just went through something and clearly you're going through something. This only happened recently where you had this loss and we didn't talk about it. We're very sorry with the news about Matt. And his mom, I, I texted your friend, Matt, whose mom passed away. And the fact that he wrote back to say that he was happy to hear from me just made me feel so good that he he knew I was thinking of him. And he even had enough presence of mind to write back, which is very difficult when you're grieving. Um, so we want to d- maybe dedicate this show to people who are grieving, people who have experienced loss, dedicate this to them and just just tell you that you don't have to wait till the right time of the podcast, Adam, to call me and, and talk. Like if you're having a moment, we're stuck. You know, we have these friendships um, because they help us unstick. You know, I keep using this, this vision in my head of, it's kind of like that big mansion idea. It's dark and you walk into a certain room and you get lost and don't realize that that dark room is just one room in a, in a very large mansion. And the trick is you have to go back out the door uh, and see the rest of, of, of that place that you're at. And I think that's that's kind of what grieving does to us. We get lost in that dark room. There's a way out, but we have to find it. And, and there's no easy way and there's no 
There's no game plan. Somehow we find a way. Somehow if we, we find a way. And I think the more vulnerable we are and the more the more open we are, I think the, the greater the chance that you will you will find that way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on there. I think the more more we talk about it, the more we share, the more we give truth to our feelings and and you know express them, you know, in the, the healthiest way possible. That's what's gonna, you know, help us to move forward. And, you know, with with everything that's happening, you know, jobs, ways of life, ways of speaking about life, you know, all of that, you know, we're we're in a period of transition, um, you know, with our country, but you know, internally yourself, you're you're always changing, you're always in in transition. So um we we have that ability to to really talk about those changes. And that's a, a big part about this show, which which I love is like, hey, we're we're talking about it and, you know, we're, we're two people and that's what we're doing. Um, so no matter what, you know, how big or small the impact that we have, um, we're out here and we are just truly sharing. And I think that's what really counts. So Albert, it's always a pleasure doing this with you, man. Thank you. Wow. Thank, thank you, Adam. I got, <laughs> got a little choked up there, but that's what you're supposed to do when you talk about things like this with a friend. Uh, anyway, be thinking of you, dude. Um, you're, you're in my thoughts and prayers. I know that seems like a cliche these days to say that phrase, but you are. Well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up here, man. Uh, this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Thank you for listening. <laughs>